Good morning, guys. I'm Lucas. I'm, I'm really, really, really grateful to be doing this. Um, Jason asked me to step in for him, and it's a, man, this is a privilege. It's, a, it's an honor. It's a responsibility. It's one that I don't take lightly, so I'm, I'm really, really grateful to have this opportunity to open the word with you. Um, but before we, before we start this, um, I just want to step back for a minute and acknowledge some things. I, I did touch base with Jason earlier this week, and I was like, hey, man, if you, were, if you were preaching this Sunday, would you say something about Ukraine? Because I think I would say something about Ukraine, but I just want to make sure, is that, is that cool? And he said, yeah, I would definitely say something about it. So before we start, um, just want to acknowledge and sit with the reality of what's, what's happening in our world some astonishing things happening in, in Eastern Europe right now. History unfolding before our eyes. And I know we've, we've said that a lot over the last two years, but um, here we are. I mean, civilians arming themselves to defend their home. It's, it is really a, a chilling thing to witness. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, I think I'd be remiss if we, if we didn't stop for a second and just think about it. So I'm going to pray just really briefly about what's happening in Ukraine. So if you would want to pray with me, I'm just going to pray real quick. Okay. Lord God, we acknowledge you as, as king, as sovereign Lord of all the earth. And this is a time of chaos and confusion and pain um, what's happening in Ukraine right now, Lord. And we, we just want to remind ourselves of who you are. And we want to acknowledge that you are good, you are wise, and we don't have answers right now. There's, there's confusion, there's questions, and so much pain. But we submit that to you, Lord, because you're good. You're good and you're wise and your ways are above our ways and we trust you. So we, we pray for the people that are being impacted by this. We pray for security. We pray for protection from harm. We pray for refuge and safety. And Lord, we pray for peace. And we pray for wisdom for our world leaders and how they will proceed with this situation. So we trust you, Lord. Um, we believe that you are a strong tower, and we submit this to you in faith this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Let's get started. Is that okay? Yeah? Okay. So um, maybe this actually isn't the first time that I have done this. It's not the first time I've, I've filled in for Jason. I don't know if any of you guys were around the first time. Maybe some of you were. It was a couple of years ago. I was working part-time for the church at the time, helping out with the student ministry. And Jason was going to be gone, so he asked me to fill in for him. And he did what any discerning pastor would do. He, he let the student ministry guy take the Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's. So it was New Year's Eve. It was cold and snowy outside, and there were probably like 30 people there. <laughs> um, this one is a little bit different because it's not New Year's Eve, 
And there's not 30 people here. I'm an 8.30 person normally. There's never this many people in 8.30. It's crazy. A little bit more people here. Uh, That one was a preacher's choice, so I kind of got to talk about whatever I wanted to. This one's in the middle of a sermon series, so it just feels like there's more responsibility. This one's a little bit different. And Jason is also in Vegas. (laughs) So he's in Vegas. (laughs) And here I am. But I am really, really grateful to, to be here with you guys, and I'm excited to to open the word. Anybody in here a summer camp person? Maybe? A little bit? Okay, some. Um, maybe you went to a summer camp. Maybe you worked at a summer camp. Maybe your kids are going to a summer camp. I don't know. If you can, I, I was a summer camp guy. I got camp in my blood, man. And if you can relate to that, then you know what I mean when I say a camp high. You know what I'm talking about. It's this like mountaintop experience, right? And if you haven't experienced the camp high via a camp, then no doubt you've experienced it through something else. You've had an experience where you, you come to the other side of it, and it's like this spiritual euphoria, right? Where you are just so confident about who God is, so confident about what you believe, um, so confident about who you want to be and that you want to live your life for Jesus. Like we, hopefully you can relate to this kind of experience. Mine is a camp high. Maybe yours is something else. Um, we're in Matthew 15 this morning, and where we're at in the story, in the, in the grand scheme of things in, in Jesus' ministry, is that the disciples just had like a camp high moment. They just had like a mountaintop experience. In chapter 14, which... Jason walked us through last week, some crazy stuff happens. Jesus walks on the water, he feeds the 5,000, John the Baptist was killed and that was hard for Jesus, it's like this emotional, there's there's emotion, there's a lot of feeling, there's these crazy experiences and the disciples take these hard lessons from those experiences and it's a mountaintop high, right? And that's where we're coming into in Matthew 15. And if you know, if you've had that kind of experience, you know what happens after the camp high, right? Life happens. Stuff gets real. Circumstances change. Um, People, maybe you get criticized, who knows? But the emotion of the camp high wanes after time. And this is what is happening in Matthew 15. The disciples and Jesus just had this mountaintop experience, and now they are going to face a little bit of criticism. Stuff's going to get a little bit real by way of circumstance, and it's going to be in the form of um, the Pharisees. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to break this up into two chunks. We're going to first look at really verses 1 through one through 9. We're going to camp out there for a little bit. And then we're also going to camp out for a little bit in verses 16 through 20. Um, like Sarah said, I'm a high school math teacher. I teach at Rocky Mountain High School. Go Bows. Go Bows, baby. Um, I teach math. So you know, I mean, my job is that all day I, this is what, where's Sarah? Is she out of here? I don't know where she went. This is, this is what she was trying to say. Um, all day I teach kids how to solve quadratic functions by completing the square. Gets your heart pumping. If I can talk about that for like an hour without batting an eye, you know I could talk about this for a minute, okay? I'll try to be brief. Don't worry. 
I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blabber about like I'm solving for X. That's not happening. All right, so I'm gonna start um, reading in chapter 15, starting in verse one, if you have your Bibles. So again, what just happened, the, the, the disciples and Jesus are just coming back from this crazy experience. Like he's just walked on the water, he's just healed a bunch of people, he's just, held, he's just fed the 5,000. So much has just happened. And this is where we pick up. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. They're not really near Jerusalem right now. So they came a ways to get involved here. Like the Pharisees are going out of their way to come and, and criticize what's going on. They come to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. So there's some stuff that we got to unpack here. There's some context that we got to um, get straight on before we can get to understand what Jesus is, is trying to say here. Um, first, the Pharisees asked them a question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Okay, so here's kind of where that's coming from. In, in the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law and the Torah, there were many, many, many commands um, about outward cleanliness. And this was a priority to the Jews. Um, the priests needed to wash themselves multiple times before they could enter the tabernacle and go into the most holy place to be in the presence of God. They had to be cleansed multiple times outwardly. Um, there were also commands dealing with washing and cleansing yourself for various like skin infections and infectious diseases and this kind of thing. Um, those were in the Old Testament law. Okay? Those were commands of God. This was not hand washing in the way that, that the Pharisees were talking about it. Was, this was extra biblical. They had taken something that was an explicit command from God and they had extrapolated it into this new tradition, right, that they were, they were practicing. And Jesus isn't doing it and his disciples aren't doing it. So the Pharisees come and they're like, why aren't you doing this? Don't you know that this is what we're supposed to do. Like, don't you know that this is important to God? This is what we're supposed to do. So Jesus replies with a question. He says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And he launches into a separate um, tradition or practice that the Pharisees had created that was also extra-biblical, and by extra-biblical, I mean not in the Bible, not in God's Word. And it's this practice where he, he's saying all this stuff about, like, honor your father and mother, but if you say something's devoted to God, then you don't have to give it to him. And you're just kind of like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, 
In Mark 7, in Mark chapter 7, this is Mark's account of this same story, um, we learn that this was called Corbin. This was the practice of Corbin that the Pharisees were, were talking about here. And the gist of it was this. You could say in, in Jesus' time, you could say, hey, all my stuff, like all my money and possessions and wealth, it's all Corbin. I'm declaring it Corbin. And that meant that it was devoted to God. And that's where we see Jesus saying, you say it's devoted to God. It was this practice of Corbin, okay? And what that accomplished was that if you said my stuff is Corbin, then it was like off limits to anything else because it's devoted to God. So you couldn't use it for anything else. So on paper, you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's like pious, I guess, right? That's um, honoring the Lord with your possessions. But here's what they were doing with this practice of Corbin. They were getting to a point in their life where their parents were becoming elderly and um, taking care of one's parents was a, a really important cultural piece of Judaism in Jesus' day. And the Pharisees were saying, oh, my parents are old. I don't want to take care of them. Like, I don't want to give my money to them to take care of them. So what am I going to do? I'm going to say it's Corbin. I'm going to devote it to God. And if I do that, then they can't have my stuff because it's devoted to God, right? But the catch was, this was a delayed, it was like a delayed gratitude. So you still kept control of all your stuff until you died. So they said, my stuff's devoted to God, it's Corbin. Mom and dad, you can't have it, sorry, it's dedicated to God. I get to keep it and do whatever I want to with it until I die, and then it'll be devoted to God. Do you see? Um... And Jesus doesn't like this very much. Jesus doesn't like this very much. Because what were they doing? They were subverting a direct command from the Lord, um, honor your father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments. They were subverting that for this new tradition. And in this tradition that they've created, they get the, the look of being super, super spiritual. Right? Like, if you say something that you stuff's devoted to God, everybody's like, oh my gosh, look. They just gave all their stuff to God, right? But they still keep it and they're subverting the word of God and um, Jesus doesn't, doesn't really like this very much. And that's why he says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Because they're breaking God's command to honor their father and mother in order to uphold this tradition that they had created that's not anywhere in the scriptures, Um, so let's just keep, let's keep reading a little bit, and then we'll get to what this means for us. I'm going to pick it up in, um, verse 6. It says, they're not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. I don't know if I can think of a more chilling thing to be told. You nullify the word of God. That's a big deal. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So this is the first time in Matthew's account where Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. He's used the word hypocrite synonymous with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. But this right here is the first moment where he's like squaring up to them, looking them in the eye and saying, you're hypocrites. 
And I think that's interesting because typically when we think about the Pharisees, we think, oh, they're hypocrites, right? That's like why Jesus didn't get along with them. But this is the first time that he calls them hypocrites. There's only six times he calls them hypocrites in the whole book. The other five times are all in one chapter, in chapter 23. And we'll get to that one later. Um, The point I'm trying to make, though, is this. It's a big deal that he's calling them hypocrites right here. Because he doesn't call them hypocrites very often. And this is the first time he's done it. So my question is, like, why? Why now? Like he's, he's thrown down with the Pharisees before up until now. But there's something about this discourse that he feels inclined to look them in the face and call him a hypocrite. Okay? And I think the reason is this. I think Jesus is calling the Pharisees hypocrites because they claim to know the way of God. They claim to know the truth. And they're teaching it as such. But in reality, what are they doing? They're actually ignoring it. They claim to know what's right. They claim to know the truth. They're actually ignoring the truth that God has set forward in his word, right? God said, honor your father and mother. But you say something else. And this is Jesus' concern with the Pharisees. Um. I don't think Jesus is saying here that traditions are bad. I don't think he's saying that. I also don't think he's necessarily necessarily saying that traditions are good. I don't think he's taking a stance on it one way or the other. I think he's saying that when you elevate a tradition to equal authority with what God has already said in his word, we make a mistake. And we get on dangerous ground there. And maybe some of us are doing that today. Maybe we elevate a tradition to the same level of God's word. We say, well, we just have done it this way all of our lives. This is what we're supposed to do. Um, And that's just the way it is. You know, maybe we do that. I think some of us today, I think this is happening today. I think some of us today think about it like this. We don't, maybe we don't elevate a tradition necessarily, but we certainly elevate our opinion and what I think to the same level of of God's word. We say, I think that God is this. Or to me, Jesus is this. If he said something different, I don't care. Because what I think is the truth. You see what I'm saying? This is dangerous. This is a really dangerous, scary, um, Massive implications to this. I think my, my wonderful wife Antoinette is here. Also, I don't think I shout. I don't think I shouted her out. Shout out Antoinette. Yeah. Um, she and I over the last couple of years have had lots of ex- experiences with with people that we love and people that we um, you know had had a, a walk of faith with that for whatever reason come to a, a point in their, in their spiritual journey where they say, I think Jesus is this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship this Jesus. And guys, when you do that, this is a slippery slope. When we begin to consider our own perception of who God is to be the undisputed truth, even if it's in conflict with this, you quickly start to worship an artificial God, an artificial Jesus that doesn't really exist. You made him up. It's a caricature. 
It's not real. If you're putting your opinion and you're making Jesus conform to what you think he should be, it's not Jesus anymore. And it begs the question, guys, like, what, what, do you, what do we think about this thing? What do you think about this book? What do you think about what it says? Does it need an excuse? Does it need an asterisk? Does, does it need you to extrapolate upon it? Or is it sufficient to tell us who God is? Because it can't be, like, you can't have both of those things. Jesus did not give us the liberty of deciding who he is. He said who he is. We don't get to make, we don't get to make that decision. We do not get to make that decision. Or otherwise we start to worship a, an artificial God, a counterfeit God. And I think this is the, the primary concern that Jesus has with the Pharisees right now, and I think this is why he calls them hypocrites. Because they had elevated their opinion in the form of a tradition to equality with God's word. And Jesus took, took issue with that. So let's keep, let's keep going in the story. Um, so following, I'm picking up in verse 10. It says, Jesus called the crowd to him. So he finishes up with the Pharisees. He just talked with the Pharisees. Now he's bringing everybody in. So he's going to launch into something that is for the people and not just for the Pharisees. He says, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth. That's what defiles them. Remember, the Pharisees are concerned with their outward cleanliness, right? their outward appearance. And Jesus launches into a more general teaching. He says, what you're doing out here doesn't make you clean or unclean. Um, it's what's in here. It's what's matters of the heart that defile you. And he'll explain that a little bit more later. Right after that, it says the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And I think of Jesus saying, yeah, I do. I do know that they were offended. He called them a hypocrite, right? It was offensive. It was. It was offensive. But put yourself in the disciples' shoes in this situation. Prior to, to Jesus coming onto the scene, these guys were just like normal dudes. Just normal dudes in Israel. So to them, the Pharisees were like, they're the smart ones. They're the ones that got this thing figured out, right? So if I'm like, if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, man, how confused, how confused might you have been in this moment? Because Jesus just called those guys hypocrites and just like, seriously criticized the way that they are approaching life with God. So the disciples are probably like, Jesus, you gotta, those guys are smart guys. Like, they are the authority on the law. And you're calling them a hypocrite. Like, you gotta help us understand this here. He says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. So he says, guys, they're wrong. They don't have it figured out. Like, they are not God's plant. They don't, they're not practicing the truth, the undisputed truth. Leave them. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Leave them. That's a powerful, powerful statement from Jesus. Like, be done. 
Reject it. Like, move away from them. Leave them. Have nothing to do with what they're doing. Have nothing to do with this elevating of your own thoughts and ideas and opinions and traditions. Have nothing to do with elevating this to the status of God's word. You don't get to decide who Jesus is. You don't get to decide who God is. He's made that clear in his word. So then Peter says, explain the parable to us. You gotta love Peter, right? Who doesn't love Peter? He just opens his mouth all the time. And I'm glad he does, because that makes me feel like I can, open, I can open my mouth and go to God with questions. But he says, explain the parable to us. And again, like, he had to be confused. He had to be like, Jesus, I thought these guys were the authority, and here you're like calling them hypocrites. You gotta help me understand this. So he says, explain the parable. Um, and this is, so this is verses 16 through 20, and this is where we're going to be uh, for the rest of the time. Jesus says, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So before we uh, before we get to the meaning of this, I got I just got to point out one thing I thought was funny in my in in preparing for this. Um, He says, "Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body?" Y'all know what he's talking about, right? Out of the body, you know what he's talking about. I read in one commentary this week, somebody was like, man, there's no doubt that he actually said this. Like, what's he talking about? We know what he's talking about. I'm not going to say it. You know what he's talking about. It goes out of the body. No doubt he actually said this. You can't make this up. You can't make this stuff up. Like, if the disciples were just trying to make up a lie and get a bunch of people to believe this, why the heck would they have recorded Jesus talking about stuff coming out of the body? You know what I mean? I thought that was kind of funny. I thought it was interesting, but anyways, so let's try to unpack what um, Jesus is trying to say in verses 16 through 20. So remember, Jewish culture, cleanliness, cleanliness before God is like of the utmost importance. Um, Like everything kind of comes down to that. Are you clean? Are you clean or not? And the Pharisees are concerned with their outward cleanliness. You know, enter hand washing and all these other things that they, they were practicing. Um, because they, but Jesus, I think Jesus is saying here, they become so concerned with outward cleanliness that they had begun to neglect the condition of the heart, right? The inner self. You might have it all figured out out here, but what's going on, what's going on in here? Because that is what really makes you unclean, or that's what defiles you. Maybe your Bible says unclean, maybe your Bible says defiled. Um, that's what separates you from God. That's what makes you unable to enter into the presence of God. is what's in here. It's not what's out here. It's, it's what's going on inside in the inner self that makes you unable to stand before a holy God. Um, it's your inward orientation. And this might be a, a weird thing for us to consider, maybe an uncomfortable thing for us to consider. I don't think a lot of modern trains of thought really want to entertain this. Like our inner self is stained. It's a hard thing to swallow. But 
let me ask you this. What if we lived in a world where all your thoughts were like projected out visibly for everybody to see? Like I'm, I'm walking around and you can see everything that I'm thinking. Like when I look at that person, you can see what I'm thinking. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in that world. Why? Because it's, it's the proof of what he's saying. I might look good. I might look like I got this thing figured out and I do all the right things. But we know when we really start to think about it in an introspective, critical way, we're stained with selfishness, sin, pride, arrogance. And what's going on in our heart is what stains us. We're going to look at two uh, quick places elsewhere in the Bible to bring this idea home. It's Romans, two places, Romans 3, 9 through 18, and Isaiah 64, 6. Let's look at Romans first. Um, and if you want to want a wild ride, buckle up in the book of Romans, man. Wild ride. So Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, and here's, he's going to, if you're looking at this in your Bible, he's going to like, bam, 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 quick reference a ton of places from the Old Testament. These, some of these verses are like, um, come one after the other in the Old Testament, but a lot of them are just standalone references. He lists them back to back to back to back. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Scathing. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Like that, that's the, that's the description of us. That's the description of all people. Or Isaiah 64, 6 from the Old Testament. Um, he says, we've all become like one who is unclean. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So even the good things that I do are lined with selfishness. All my righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Hard things to swallow, but guys, there's an, there's an implication here. There's an implication here. If my brokenness is inward, if it's in here and it's not out here, I mean, obviously, what happens out here is just a consequence of what happens in here, right? So like, if I'm broken in here, I'm going to be broken out here. Um, but if my brokenness is in here, there's not an external solution that I could do to take this away. Like I can't, if my, if my problem is on the inside, nothing on the outside is going to fix that. Nothing on the outside is going to take this away. Nothing that I do is going to remove this stain. I can't do it. I can't make it happen. I'll tell you a little story. So I'm a high school teacher, like I said, um, high school math teacher. The, the end of the quarter at school is two weeks away, okay, two weeks away to spring break. 
Um, if, I mean, my job description should really change in these next two weeks. It should change from math teacher to guy who just tries to convince kids that they can't get an A at the last minute. That's what my job description should become. Because I'm telling you guys, like, they're going to show up to me the day before the end of the quarter and be like, Mr. Smith, I know I have a 32% in your class, <laughs> but I'm just hoping that you could, you know, give me like some sheet of extra credit or something like that. And I'll, do, I'll take five minutes to do it. You know, like I'll sit down here and I'll bust it out in five minutes and then I'll get an A. Yeah. This is what they say. Like this is, I, this is actually what they think. And... I got an email from, from a student one time. I'll, just, I'll, I'll tell you what the email said. I'll, 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 I'll describe it to you, okay? So there was, there was no subject line. <laughs> um, there's no subject line. There's no like, hello, Mr. Smith, or whatever. I'll just tell you what it said. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It was just no subject line. This is what it said. The entirety of the body of the email was this. Ain't no way I can pass, huh? <laughs> With no question mark, not even a question mark. Ain't no way I can pass, huh? No, there's not. No, like, thank you, you know, whatever, thank you for consideration. No, that was it. And the, the funniest thing about this story, guys, is that this kid had been to my class four times. Four times this kid had been to my class. Ain't no way I can pass, huh? No. Sorry. I didn't even want to respond. I was like, I don't even want to dignify this. And how do you even respond? Like, sorry, you've come four times. Nah, son, maybe. So my job is in the next two weeks is going to change from teaching math to just convincing kids that they have a problem that they can't fix. Like, this is outside. It's, it's over. It's done. Okay, pack it up. Go home. Try again in a week. Okay. That's, that's what the job is going to become. Again, like I just said, I'm going to try to convince kids that they have a problem that is beyond their capacity to fix. Can't fix it. I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach the people here. You are broken inwardly on the heart level, in the inner self. You're stained. That's what defiles you. It's not what you're doing out here, but inwardly you're defiled. <clears throat> if I was there, if I was listening to this, I'd get really confused at this point because he just finishes this and ends. If I was there, I'd be like, wait a minute, like, you're going to tell me that and then just move on? How do I fix it? That's what I would ask. I'd be like, what? How do I become clean then? What do I need to do to become clean? What's the, what's the answer? How do I become clean? And we, guys, we, this might be a weird thing for us to talk about, like the inner brokenness that separates you from God that's outside of your capacity to change. That might be a hard thing for us to swallow. Enter grace. Enter grace. We can talk openly about what's going on in here. I can say to you openly that I'm broken here, because it just means that I get to talk about radical forgiveness. Like, that's where you get to. I talk about this so I can talk about radical forgiveness, radical grace. Because this is a brutal diagnosis, right? 
Jesus is telling us, you, you're stained in here and you can't fix it. So if it, there's freedom in it. Do you see why? Do you see the freedom? If I'm broken and I can't fix it, then I'm only led to one hope. I'm only led to one conclusion. The only way that I can be made clean before a holy God is through Jesus Christ and nothing else. Nothing else. And that's the freedom. That's the freedom. So I think the question we've got to ask ourselves is how do we make ourselves clean? How do we make ourselves clean? There's two references we're going to go to to find that answer. How do you make yourself, how do you fix it? How do we take care of this problem that we have? If we can't do it, what, what, what do we do? Where are we led to? So the first place we're going to look is, again, in Romans 3. It's actually the very next part of the first reference that we looked at, if you still have that open. Starting in verse 21 of Romans 3, it says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Apart from the law. Apart from what you do or don't do, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given. Really? Yeah, it's given. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one who does right. No one is righteous. We're all stained. And we all need something. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's the only conclusion that we can come to. When you're faced with the reality of what defiles, that's the only place you can go, is Jesus Christ crucified. The other thing that we'll look at is Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. What do I have? 26, okay, cool. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26. So this is God telling us what the solution was going to be well before Jesus showed up. In Ezekiel, he says, I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking. I will give you a new heart. Your heart. It's what, it's your heart. It's what's in here that defiles you. So I'm going to give you a new one. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I know I don't have the reference, but before that, verse 25, he says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. You're defiled in here, it makes you unclean, but I will make you clean. This is what God does in Jesus Christ. And it's the only way to become clean. There is no other way to experience um, right standing before God. And this is the easy yoke that Jesus talks about in Matthew 11. Jason walked us through that however long ago when he was in Matthew 11. This is what causes me to, to rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. This is where the rest is. Because I can say, I can't fix this, so God fixes it. And I can rest in that. <clears throat> we'll, end, we'll end with this. Um, Tim, Tim Keller is a 
was a pastor for a long time and an author, if, if anybody is familiar with, um, with Tim Keller. He wrote, a, he wrote a book called The Prodigal God, and it's essentially a, a treatise on Luke 15, which is a separate, separate story. It's the parable of the prodigal son, which I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with. But in that book, he, he lays something out, and it's always kind of stuck with me. He, he lays out this idea, and I think it... I think it's kind of the same thing that Jesus is getting at here with the Pharisees. Um, he says it like this. People, think, people typically tend to think of their life and their relationship to God and how you find fulfillment one of two ways. There's the moral conformity route, which says in order to be okay, in order to be happy, in order to be made whole and be right with God, you have to do this, 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 and this, right? It's the moral conformity. Do these things, live this certain way, and you'll be okay. So that's option one. Option two that he says, people approaching life with God and fulfillment, um, is the way of self-discovery, okay? It's the way of self-discovery. This is where we get our, our famous phrase, the, the treatise of the millennial generation, you do you. You do you, right? Maybe not, I mean, you know, I'm not speaking in extremes, but we love you do you, right? Like, that's our, that's our go-to. If you're in a conversation with people involving hard decisions or life or whatever, no doubt somebody is going to say, you do you, man. You do you. What does that even mean? Do whatever you want, I guess. Like, do whatever you want. Just do what you think is going to make you happy, but what happens when what makes you happy is bad for somebody else? Do you still do you? I don't know. And this is not going to work. Like the, self, the self-discovery thing is not going to work. And the moral conformity thing is not going to work. And this is, I think this is the statement that we can take from Jesus' teaching to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are the moral conformity crowd, right? They're saying... Do this, do that, we got to live like this, we know the truth, you do this and you'll be okay. I think maybe in a more modern sense, we're, maybe some of us are the moral conformity crowd, but maybe some of us are the self-realization crowd. We say, you do you, you figure it out, find your truth, right? Um, you got to be careful with that, guys. You got to be careful with finding your truth. Because if the truth that I come up with is not the truth, then my truth doesn't really matter. If I find my truth and my truth is not in agreement with this and it's not the truth, that actually hurts me. So two ways to live. And, and both of them are wrong. That's what we come to. Both of them are wrong. The moral conformity crowd, is, that's not going to make you righteous before God because you're staying in here and you can't take that away. That's what we've been talking about. The self-realization crowd you do you, figure it out for yourself, is not going to make you right. That's not going to fulfill you because what does that cause you to do? Think about yourself all the time. What do I want? What do I think is right? What's going to make me happy right now? It's inward. It's all inward. Neither of them are going to work. Neither of them are going to work. But the way of Jesus works. The way of righteousness given through faith, apart from the law, that works. And it's the only thing that can. 
It's the only thing that can remove our stain. It's the only thing that can bring fulfillment and restored relationship with the Father. Now, it should, it should also be said that when you're forgiven, when you get a new heart, um, when we experience radical grace and salvation through Christ, that, ha- that, does, that does something, right? I have a new heart now. That's going to mean I have a new life, new desires, new way of thinking, new way of living. But that's a different, that's another sermon. That's another sermon, and I, I won't do that one. We'll let Jason handle that one. All right, worship team, um, you can come back up and close. Mountaintop experience into some criticism and some, some harsh teaching, some judgment. What do they do? They go to Jesus and they ask him to explain. They ask him to explain. I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, we praise you that you are compassionate and gracious even though we are unclean, even though we are stained inwardly, Lord, um, your blood is sufficient to cleanse us, and we celebrate that this morning. We praise you for the cross. We praise you for your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen.